Whether it's digital or analog design that keeps you busy, today it's all about the experience. This is Experience by Design, a podcast exploring the latest trends and solutions helping create the most intriguing experiences you can imagine and the ones you can't. Hosted by Brian Mazaros. Welcome to another episode of the Experience by Design podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Mazaros, and today we welcome Matthew McNerney, the newly appointed creative director of experience at Landor and Fitch in New York City. Prior to joining Landor and Fitch, McNerney led teams at Eat Inc., Potion, Ralph Applebaum Associates. Throughout his career, he has helped work transform how people connect with brands, building community, fostering empathy, and nurturing loyalty through play and emotional storytelling. He is a frequent public speaker at national conferences, including SCGD and Global Shop. He guest lectures annually at FIT, Pratt Institute, his alma mater, and he is also grace the presence of seton hall my alma mater so it is absolute pleasure to uh to welcome matthew to the show good to catch up with you thanks for joining yeah great to be here thank you so much for having me yeah absolutely absolute pleasure it's been a while since we we've seen each other and caught up so this is this is a nice uh it's a nice way to end the week for me <laughs> familiar face so <laughs> excellent yeah, yeah wonderful yeah. so how's everything well first congratulations thank you um that is that is a very nice landing spot. Um, I think it's 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 a great progression looking at the agencies you've uh, you've been at. Yeah, you know, there's that wonderful sort of hindsight of looking how the building blocks of your career lead you somewhere. And had I not logged three years exclusively in digital, had I not logged fifteen years exclusively in physical, there's just this amazing amalgamation of building on the the opportunities and lessons I learned in previous experiences. And it's, it's so wonderful. And Leonard Fitch is, it felt like home within, you know, three days it was really, really special. No, it's, it's, that's, that's an awesome environment to, uh, to land in. And I think, like you said, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Like when you look back and at, at, at your career path, you know, it's, there's like points in time where I'm sure you, you have this where you're like, oh, does this really make sense? And then somehow all man automatically like one day, it does make sense. And then there's that progression, like you said, into, into this position. So sure. Yeah. That's, that's very nice to see. So, so what, so I was kind of like curious, so I'm, you know, I'm very, I'm you know, familiar with Landor. I'm familiar with Fitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, where, where do you kind of fit in? You know, I know there's you know, Landor Fitch seems to be the umbrella and maybe if I'm, I'm describing this wrong, please you know correct me, but I'm, yeah. it seems to be sort of the parent. And then these two organizations still operate separately at times or. So Landor and Fitch brings together the best of both worlds, right? You have Landor, who is rooted in, you know, strategic design and classic branding, amazing, like, legacy of, you know, iconic, uh, you know, contributions to the graphic design world. And as well as Fitch, who is known for its world-class strategy and experience and retail and workplace design. And so it's really the two ends of the spectrum of branding. And so bringing them together to offer our clients a remarkable offering to create extraordinary work is really wonderful. And, and that's what, what happened. Like we, we honestly saw that clients were asking for more coherent deliverables, right? And the reality of experience design is that it touches everything. So having those two 
minds is just lovely to, to, to really offer incredibly rich solutions uh, for a evolving world that, you know, has only accelerated since the, uh, since the pandemic. Well, I think kind of back to your, I think kind of point you were saying is as your, you know, progression, I mean, you're coming from, from eight Inc and potion where we you know, met each other, you know, I think there's, you know, is, is there more of the appreciation, like you said, I mean, you, you have the focus on brand, you have the focus on, on, you know, physical design. And I think for a while, these, these two practices always were, I mean, they were complementary, but I think they were also siloed. And right. so do you, do you think that, you know, kind of where you're at now, and it sounds like the answer is yes, that there's a better sense of how to integrate the two disciplines to, to create these holistic experiences. Right. I honestly, what was quirky about my previous life was that it, it's not really fair to say that it was completely siloed, but it was contingent on other people's work streams. Right. And so that always requires a level of coordination that never is ideal for creating a perfect experience. And so the ability at, at Lander and Fitch to have everyone under the same roof and deliver, um, you know, inc like just seamless experiences is, is really the exciting part. I think that looking back, you, you know, what, what I didn't appreciate is I had the luxury for 18 years of my career to not have to worry about the business case, right? And then to move from the cultural sector into the business sector, you have to do your homework a lot more, right? And it's no longer about, well, this is what the story is, and that means this is the right solution. It's really, this is going to move the needle. This is going to sell the widgets. And so you can't be as flippant as make it blue because yeah. the water museum, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really loved the rigor that that brought to my design process. And at Lander and Fitch, it's, it's like it's like Oxford level, you know, integration and having entire arms of insights and analytics and uh, transformation and culture and change management teams. And it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's robust, you know? Well, how do you, I mean, you bring up a, a really good, a really good point. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, how do you, there's a grittiness, right? When you, when you come from, you know, smaller agencies, you know I mean? It's, it's like you said, you, you run a little bit without analytics, you, you run a little bit more of, you know, it's like the MacGyver approach, you know, here's this, this, and this, make it work. And, and, right. and you have you know, $17 and you have $17, you know, right, just, right. um, but then when you go into the, to this world and, and like you said, I mean, there's, there's more tools, there's more, um, you know, disciplines, there's, there's more resources. I mean, does that, I mean, how does that, does that change? I mean, do you feel that takes away from the grittiness or do you feel that that just helps to be more prepared and, and more insightful? On, on the experience? No, it, it sort of broadens the possibilities in a dramatic way. So here's the thing, experience design, as I mentioned earlier, touches everything, right? So you have a situation where the ability to affect environment, communications, 
messaging, uh, behavior, and behavior can really mean both staff and consumer. And, um, and then products and services, how do you innovate to unlock brands' full potential? And so when you look at all of those touch points, inevitably, you've got an incredible kit of parts to work with. But then the beauty of experience is that you have the element of time added. And so how things evolve, how they interact with seasons, days, holidays, right? All of those things demand a level of programming that activates spaces, right? So that you have the sense of, okay, now we're in the Christmas season, how do we behave? And then you move into the third layer or seventh layer, depending on how you're counting. <laughs> um, and you get into content, which is really becoming the currency of brands, right? And so all of those things are incredibly fun levers to play with and figuring out which ones are appropriate for each brand and how your budgets, constraints, preconceived, you know, brand equity, all mm -hmm. of those things play into solutions is really exciting. And so at Leonard and Fitch to have the ability to touch programming and content and experience and brand and, yeah. and you know, all under one roof is just like. It's a kid in a candy shop. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's 360 degree offerings and then worldwide, right? Yeah. So yeah. This, it extrapolates so fast. Yeah. So, so I, mean, I think this kind of sets up sort of an interesting time too. So, I mean, you're reading, I'm reading, um, you know, I love the, the term that is really kind of coming around is the roaring twenties. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, it's, it's definitely applicable. I think we're all seeing it. We just, we just want to get out and, and, and do things. And I think, you know, what I'm kind of seeing is that, you know, I think it puts retail in a very interesting challenge or, or point, you know, I think, you know, retail was operating, you know, it sort of hit a plateau, I'd say, I mean, from, from my side, you know, you, you would have some concept shops that challenged the, the thought of what the store serves, the point the store serves and, and how it connects with an audience. And then obviously everything shut down and then it, then it changed the purpose of the store. And so, you know, I think people now want to get out, but they're also looking for something unique. And I think some stores suffer because they don't offer that. It's, it's the same mundane shopping process. You go in, you, you pick up what you want and you, you leave, or, you know, some have figured out the, you know, buy online more it's they've, they've expedited that process in store. But then I think there's some where they really need to deliver some type of theatrical or some kind of experience to get you to, to come into it. I mean, how, I mean, what, what do you see as far as, you know, with, with retail and the roaring 20s and, 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 and the shift? I mean, it's. Yeah, I think that certainly roaring 20s speaks to the level of entrepreneurship that we're going to see coming out in the next 10 years. For sure. That's just documented that, you know, crises and recessions always spark creativity, which is lovely. Um, and I think that your point of mundane or tedious is certainly true. You know, the, the notion that retail is dead is clearly wrong. The, the investment in online brands that are putting money into brick and mortar is significant. I mean, look at Warby Parker and, you know, there's, there's lots there, but certainly tedious shopping is dead. And I think that Thank goodness, right? I mean, I, I, it's it's 
it's really an artifact of a different time. And I think that what online has unlocked is this incredible ability to separate efficiency and fulfillment from customer experience and advocacy and you know um, affinity building. And so that's really, really special. You know, I, um, I was cleaning out my junk drawer yesterday and I stumbled on this thing, which is, I had to look at it for a second and remember what it was. It's actually a bag holder that when you're carrying your groceries and the plastic was- I think I remember in, those, right? yes. Yeah, you like put it in here and then it kind of softens, <laughs> it distributes the surface area. Yes. And when I found it, I was like, wow. Like, can you imagine when there was a moment where I like walked and lifted and carried yeah. and brought yeah. back and then unpacked and yeah. that doesn't, like, that's just not going to happen anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what that means is that all of a sudden you have this incredible opportunity to do something different in physical, right? Since the dawn of retail, the only metric has been sales per square foot. Mm-hmm. And that's no longer the only metric, right? The, the opportunity to use a space for membership and brand building and customer service and hospitality and generosity, and it, it's all there, right? And those things are incredibly powerful. And when you think about what it means for a brand to put up hundreds of thousands of dollars for 30 seconds of airtime, versus hundreds of thousand dollars for a space where people spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that kind of brand experience burns into people's, you know, goals. So it's a real, real rich landscape to play in. Do you, do you think there's a, a challenge? Because I think met- metrics is, I mean, it's very critical, but I think for a while we, and I think from, from the experiential side, operated on some fake metrics. By that, I mean, you, you had the, the infamous return on experience, and and you you had return on on not R not you know ROI in a sense of return on innovation, and I think you had you know these these ideas of metrics and things that you could potentially measure, or so you think you could measure on, but never really led to a number that someone could make a business decision against. It, it was theatrical, uh, not theatrical, theoretical. Sorry, and and so I'm wondering, you know. Is there a balance or, or how do you, you know, sort of maintain this level of, of measuring against something where I think there's still an element of experimentation on, on retail. I think there's still this, this bit of, we're going to try this, we're going to try a smaller form, uh, you know, form factor. We're going to try a different approach to less product, more brand, brand activation, you know, is right, there, right. is there, a, I mean, is, is there a real metric that's or you know, way to measure that? I think there's a lot of ways to see that. I mean, the funny thing is that we're certainly in an age of experimentation and innovation, but we're also in the age of data, right? So there's yes. the two ends of the there spectrum that yes. really can inform each other. And, and data is sort of a, a blunt object if it's not used intelligently. But when it's, when it's really sort of mined for insights, there's some tremendous opportunity there. And I think that the pandemic has really force brands to listen and reevaluate and sort of empathize with consumers and understand that there are different rules in, in different sectors and different parts of the country. There's, there's a lot there. And so I think that what I love about broadening the conversation from sort of the science of sales through 
to, to your point, like, a you know, the return on everything is that to be fair, when you look at all of the components of a successful business, employee attrition rates, lifetime customer value, marketing spend, physical build out, all of those things, um, what it takes to retain a customer, right? If, if you fail on, on, a, on a return or, you know, poor customer service experience, all of those things have numbers attached to them, right? And, and, and I commend Apple for, for throwing out the P&L sheet a long time ago and saying, you know what, we have to look at this holistically. That's a hard sell for most brands. <laughs> um, but, but I think it is uh, a very valid understanding that the, the merit and success of a brand is far more nuanced than just the the dollar signs right mm-hmm. yeah. no I, I agree and you know it's it's you know i think the apple model it's it's you know it's always it's still relevant i think it's it's always relevant to talk about there's so many aspects of it i mean they they changed to retail um you know they they, they shook it up as, as a brand that should have but i think to the point they listened and observed what their customers wanted and looked at shifts and in, in in the marketplace and they addressed them with the way they approached their store and and the convenience, and they continued it to innovate with it. You know, I I kind of wonder that does this this you know kind of set up to where you know are DTC brands the next wave of innovation, the ones that are you know starting to grab stores, um, you know Warby Parker, uh, Bonobos, um, you know there's there's you know several others, uh, Burrow that that are that are coming out that are creating. I mean, the model's a little bit different. It's not, we're not going to be in every mall in America. We're going to have, you know, select locations. Um, we're going to follow what we have in an e-commerce model, but have these experience centers. Do you, do you think the rise of DTC, and this is happening pre-pandemic too. This isn't something new, but are they set up or are they the next level of innovation? Will they challenge the Nikes? Will they challenge the, the Apples even to a degree? Sure. I mean, the you you have the tension of nimbleness versus legacy, right? And certainly DTC brands have the luxury of starting off with coherent digital platforms that start off with a unique customer ID and build on that relationship from the start. And a lot of, you know, older brands have to retrofit that so what you gain in nimbleness you lose in equity right so the the conversation really becomes who do i trust and so authenticity becomes a huge conversation but i think that you know if you look at the work that we did with walmart what a wonderful way of sort of understanding the customer's need changing shift of digital and the role of sort of being a supporter in that process, right? So we created Walmart's mobile first in-store platform, right? And so it was the the opportunity to navigate the store via your own device and find things very intuitively, be able to, you know, cross prices and you know points and all those different things like really seamlessly. And what was so coherent about that was the fact that we also designed the store. 
And that never happens. You never get an app design and a store design. Yeah. Like architecture, no, it's true. Digital, it's, it's very so, true. Yes. Yes, you get this amazing digital sort of coherence where the brand is really leaning into what its core offering is, which is saving time, right? And being a real sort of a partner in making your life easier. And so sort of understanding that brand value and understanding that, you know, leveraging people's personal experiences and personal devices is going to give the the most frictionless offering was, was really great, you know? But when you look at something like, you know, the new work we did for M&Ms in the Mall of America, like what a completely different metric, right? That's not about saving time. You move from time well saved to time well spent. This belief that in a space with 40 million visitors and roller coasters and water parks, like you're not going to go buy M&Ms. You're going to go spend time with the brand. And so... You know, we created what we called roller coaster retail, which is the sense that on, on three different floors, you have three radically different opportunities. You can certainly buy the product that has been added with layers of personalization and, you know, customization and things. You can interact with the brand and take great, like, Instagram moments and things, uh, you know, a lot of spectacle, a lot of theater added in. And so, so ultimately, you, your metrics of success to go back to your earlier point are completely um, more focused on the long term than, you know, <laughs> what's in my bank account right now. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good point. I, I, I liked, I like when you use the word often, you know, authentic authenticity. I mean, how, how do you see that the, the level of importance in terms of currency that, that brands can, can trade on? It, it feels like, Guess where I'm getting with it is it feels for a while that I think brands would deliver experiences because they felt a necessity to deliver them and it lacked a connection back to being authentic to the brand. They 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 lost that. They got, you know, they just they got lost in their need to innovate. Right. Forgot about who they are. I mean, certainly the the tension of hopping on the bandwagon versus creating business appropriate things are we've experienced that in every sector of design, right? Like quick, I need flash quick. I need oh, yes. VR quick. Yes. I need, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's not a new problem to the world we're living in. I think that what's um, more interesting about authenticity is the, the role it's playing demographically, right? Mm-hmm. So you see, Gen Z really holding people accountable, even more than millennials, mm-hmm. for for that, and then you know, understanding how that affects buying choices. And so there's really, it's a, it's a great great opportunity for brands to truly identify who they are, and and what their sort of what what's Lander calls sacred assets, right? The things that are so true the 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 meeting point between the brand promise and the brand performance that is separable from you know its identity and and leaning into that you know and i think that that's where the beauty happens you know i what i love about where i came from and i think i can never shake to, to maybe my my detriment is that i started off for 15 years only worrying about content and so in a museum, first of all, talk about rigor in terms of like, this is correct information. 
but also understanding that the only thing you have is the uniqueness of your story, right? So leaning into a, a Russian Jewish museum when I worked on that project in Moscow or the Lego museum and the Lego house in, in Denmark, you, you had to sort of understand the, the DNA of what you were working on, right? And so this is a perfect case of me carrying that with me to every conversation I've ever had since. And within the retail space, it becomes really exciting because it gets into history and values and, um, you know, all kinds of things that are uniquely yours. I, I worked with a, a wonderful sage, uh, you know, guru uh, in my previous life, um, Jesse. Um, oh, her name is is now. I feel terrible. Um, it will come to me um, once I Google her her name. Um, give it. This is what happens when you get less, uh, you know. Oh, Jesse oh. Sheffrin. Ah. Okay. Sorry. Oh my God. Oh, it happens to me all the time. I apologize. I just, I just, I just referred to just, 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 just saying, you know, that person or, um, yeah, no, 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 Jesse deserves to be called out because, uh, she mentored, um, John Maida. She was, uh, you know, the provost of art, um, RISD is really brilliant person. And she made a comment that, that, you know, like all we have are our experiences. Like if you want to say that the collective identity, you know, is really just the sum of all the things you've interacted with, not too far off from, from what psychologists and neurologists or, you know, anyone says. And so that's true for the brand space too, right? You're the collective, you know, amalgam of all of these different inputs and, and how you move forward. So that's, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's, you know the more I have these conversations, and that, that's sort of the beauty of love of this this you know kind of series or narrative or whatever you want to kind of call this is just you know I think everyone kind of shares the same type of enthusiasm, and and you know it's it's nice to to see that, and it's nice to hear that, and it's, it's nice to hear the different perspectives or, or how it's articulated, and I think you you articulate it very very well, and and in what you've seen, but I also love and how you've you've kind of look back on on your experiences and and from career and also just just from the projects you worked on and and I think that's how it should be and I think if you don't learn from that or you don't admit the mistakes or or the observations you had seen and apply that going forward it serves no one any value it's it's just sure sure and and I think that's where the luxury of a 1200 person team in 19 countries that <laughs> all functioning you know as one coherent unit Becomes really exciting because I think that the the struggle we have as creatives is to be fresh, right, and always be open and curious. And as you log more and more years, the wisdom you gain is like, oh, that's going to be value engineered, or oh, that's not going to fly by, you know, like the compliance or all these different yeah. problems yeah. you face. And it's so hard to be mindful of not having those sort of close your funnel, right? Of, of opportunities and possibilities. And that's why having young talent and having talent from all over the world and having diverse talent, yeah. you know, is so critical because you need those injections of, 
outliers and naivete and and different perspectives to keep robust solutions possible. So now that you're you're in in the the, the family, are you packing the bags and 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 going on the world tour to see some of the the offices or like how how far do you extend? Or are you just within here in North America or? Right. So I'm specifically in charge for leading all brand experience transformation projects within the New York office. But we've certainly adapted a regional model that allows all of us to pool our resources. And certainly the the remote working has only reinforced that leveraging people's, you know, remotely and it's it's totally fair game. Um, And and so that's that's my purview, you know. But I mean, on a daily basis, I'm interacting with people in Ohio and in San Francisco and in London. Um, so that's really, really special. A trip to Columbus, I think, is a, is a must. I, I, I've <laughs> spent many of hours in, in, the, um, in the Fitch office out, uh, out in Columbus. Yeah, so. yeah, no. And, and so that's, that's fantastic. And then I actually was on the road last week for the first time. It felt amazing to get on a plane and do a business client meeting in person. It was amazing how refreshing that was and efficient, right? The yes, efficiency yes. of being in the same room with someone is completely forgotten. It, it is. It is. I, I think we've, we've definitely, you know, definitely gotten used to, to Zoom calls and, uh, right. and that. And uh, now I've, I've been even myself, you know, having a, a couple of face-to-face meetings and, uh, it's funny that you kind of forget, I, you know, I went through, I don't know if others experienced this, but you, you go through the challenge of what do I wear? <laughs> what, what is, what is appropriate meeting dress code? I, I'm, I'm so, right, right. I'm so lost on this right now. <laughs> so, right. So I don't wear sweatpants and I have to wear a suit. Oh, a tie. How do I tie that? You know, so <laughs> it's all those things that you have to relearn. And, um, sure. and I, of course, I, you know, do I shake your hand, you know? Oh, well, exactly. Is it, is it the fist bump to shake your hand? Is it the elbow or is it, is it the, um, is it, is it the clicking of heels? I've seen that in a couple of occasions. It's an interesting sort of a shuffle, sure. post-COVID shuffle, um, I think is what <laughs> the, the kids underneath us are calling it the, uh, these days. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I've sort of, I sort of tried to stop um, you know, keeping up with, with things to a degree. <laughs> so you just right, have to right. sort of pick and choose what you read and what you follow on, on social. And um, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that, you know, the last kind of question I'm, I'm curious is, is that, um, you know, flip the script, I think is another, um, you know, term that has been kind of coming out there. And, you know, I mean, really, is there, you know, is it, is, is retail, I mean, how, how do you flip the script in, in the sense of, you know, advising in someone doing something that's, that's different. And, and I guess, you know, I feel that there's a need to, to do something unique and different. And in some cases, it's not really needed. It's, it's just, you know, sort of perfecting or just improving slightly, but there's some where I think it's it's the thought of I really need to do something entirely different than what my competitors or, or what the marketplace has seen. Is is this a time to to really flip the script? Are we or are they too, you know, premature in thinking of that? Maybe that's more 2022 that you see a flip the script scenario. I think it's time to listen, right? I mean, figure out like what people are asking for and being able to pivot. And and certainly there are tremendous changes that are going to stay and remain and, and some really beneficial ones. I mean, just the the framework of reserving time to spend within a store or a restaurant or a museum is arguably like a brilliant thing to preserve because it 
affects your employee staffing. It you know allows you to understand demand. It gives you real time feedback on on you know all kinds of things. So I think that that's really I think we'll see a lot of that re remain in terms of flipping the script. I think that what's really important is to understand that retail is no longer confined to rollout, right? And, and the luxury of digital and the opportunity for data is to be in a constant state of re refinement, right? And improvement. And so that all of your stores become prototypes, right? Like they become living prototypes. And, and you know, Thomas Friedman had this comment in his last book that was, you know, we've reached the age of dynamic stability, which is that the world is changing faster than possibly plan for. And so modularity becomes a framework of your design, right? You have to build to adapt. You have to overbuild to allow for opportunities to change, you know, where you plug things in or where you light things or where your data is coming from. And, and so that's very, very exciting. And then I think you get into, when you take that, that one step further, you get into the notion of retail ecosystems, right? And this idea that to, to the earlier point of, you know, rollout's dead, like you don't need 1500 of the same store. You might need a pop-up over here and a large format fulfillment center over there and a dark store over here. And, and that is like perfect because what you have is the opportunity to not only offer incredibly relevant solutions to people, right? Depending on where they're at and who they are and their income and all of those things, all those factors. But you also have the ability for stores to start behaving like an organism, right? The, the fact that you can have a fulfillment center close to a you know, display only store, like a, like a, um, an Obos, right. You just try it on and then they ship it to you kind of thing. Right. To have a fulfillment center close to a small format store that offers that next to, you know, a, a hospitality customer service framework store next to, you know, a completely invisible, you know, footprint of, of fulfillment, all of a sudden they all support one another. Right. So it's not about just, you know, how my individual footprint is doing. It's really how we can support each other. I've worked with clients who have said that they get a, a, a ping, right, to fulfill a store in store, you know, BOPIS, you know, buy online, pick up in store for a t-shirt, right? T-shirt costs mm -hmm. 10 bucks. Their system says that it's over there, yeah. right? Yeah. So employee comes over, looks for it. It's not there. He looks around. Now, you know what? I got to take my shift. You look for it. I can't find it in this store. It's going to go to another store. You find it over there. All of a sudden, your $8 t-shirt's costing $15 in labor yeah. just to find the thing. And so these are the opportunities to like, okay, how can these stores start working together and win at sharing those those metrics and sharing that that common inventory and just to make everything so much better, right? And so those are those are the flip the script things that get me really excited. No, I, th I think I think you're right, and, and and I appreciate that answer because I th I think that's that is what needs to change. I think that's what is the flipping of the script. So, and I think now's you know like we said, I think now now is the perfect time to address it. 
you know, it's a, it's a perfect opportunity. And, um, I think those that, that don't, unfortunately, I think those are the brands that, you know, do succumb. Um, right. So, yeah. And, and I think that, you know, what's lovely about all of the levers you have to pull within experience design is figuring out where you go high touch, where you go high tech, where you, you know, where you need staff, where you don't need. And so like we did work in Singapore for Singtel where we launched a completely staffless 24 seven footprint, right? And, and being able to just sort of like leverage all of that possibility and then still have, you know, at the flip of a switch, human contact for guidance within the store is just really leveraging the best of both worlds. So I think that we're gonna see a lot more creativity in terms of what people are willing to, to experience within a store and what they're demanding. I mean, and, and you'll see that evolve all the time. I mean, I think that Starbucks moving to all these mobile pickup things is a huge, huge pivot, right? I mean, and then really having that luxury because of the precedent they built all this all these years on, on customer service. And so now that sort of stays with you when you're just coming in and grabbing it and leaving and you still have that, that brand you know, affinity. So yeah, it's cool stuff. Well, Matthew, always a pleasure. Thank you Definitely. very much. It's it's great to uh, to catch up with you. Um, yeah. Wish you nothing but success over over at uh, Landor and Fitch. Thank you so much. Um, definitely very excited to see what you guys do in the future. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and obviously just self contribute to retail to grow. So um, I think yeah. your thinking is what's needed. So wonderful. That's um, very sweet. Thank yeah. You. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, no. Again, thank you. And how you know just just. Uh, you know, where can people find you, learn more about the work that you guys are up to? Right, right. Well, I'm notoriously not on social media. It's, it's <laughs> like, I think once I had a kid, I just had way more, you know, distractions and things. But certainly you can find me on LinkedIn and then all the, you know, the normal handles of Lander and Fitch and I think Lander underscore Fitch for, for some of the, the other ones. Um, but that's the luxury of SEO is you can just Google us and you'll, you'll find this regardless. There's always, um, there's always yeah. a Google search. So yeah, uh, yeah. You'll find everything and anything. Right. So. <laughs> well, right. again, thank you very much for, uh, for joining and yeah. uh, thank you everyone to listening. Um, as always, I'm your host, Brian Mazeros. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, uh, at OpenEye Global and also on Twitter at Brian Mazeros and stay tuned for more exciting episodes coming up soon. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks so much.